2: The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed.
1: I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Oh, dear soul, won't you please Share some little sweet days with you Every day. Oh, in the sugar, my way.
2: Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. So we're going to talk today about parental estrangement. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, this topic is a little bit of an answer or at least a, a kind of it's connected to a previous episode we oh, did yeah. on, is, yeah. on parental alienation. Mm hmm. Something interesting happened. We had answered a letter from a man who called himself Broken Dad. And he wrote about having a long marriage and he and his wife got divorced. And after that, his teenage daughter cut him out of her life. And he felt that she had sided with her mother over him. And he was hurt and broken about that. And that episode went up Mm -hmm. and we got another email into our inbox. Maybe I should just read it and then we can chat. Oh, yeah. Dear Sugars, I'm a 19-year-old from Canada. I've been backpacking around the States on my own for over a year. I left home after my dad left my mom for a woman closer in age to me than him. He'd been cheating on my mom for months and left us all. My mom is kind and sweet, and even though I believe they were probably not meant to be together forever, there was nothing visibly terribly wrong with their marriage. One day, my dad just left. My mom was heartbroken and shocked. My dad spent months after this manipulating my mom, my sister, and I to bend to his will. He tried to get full custody of me and my sister and tried to make us meet his girlfriend and move in with him. He completely disregarded my feelings and also my sister's. His obliviousness to human emotion sickens me. I cut him out of my life because he's emotionally abusive and toxic. The last thing I need in my life is another middle-aged white male thinking he can tell me what to do and who to be thinking he can use me against my mother. The only thing I could do to free myself from the incredible weight he pushes upon me every day was to stop contact with him for a while. I did it myself so that I could feel okay, so that my life wouldn't be bogged down by his negative impact on my well-being. I haven't spoken to him for over a year, though recently he emailed me. I was shocked to read that he wrote to you, Cheryl Strayed, my favorite author, about his relationship with me. He said there was a podcast about it, and all that went through my mind was, my dad is in correspondence with Cheryl Strayed about me? I could barely listen to the podcast. It disgusted me to listen to how in his letter my dad acts like he's so perfect and innocent, and that he wasn't cheating, and that his relationship with my mother was bad. You just need to know, Cheryl, I'm a fucking huge fan of what you did. You're human, and you admit to your mistakes. My dad doesn't do this. He erases all the bad parts and then contacts his daughter's favorite author, acting like I'm the bad one for cutting him out of my life. I did what I needed to do. My mom, my sister, and I have a tighter bond than ever. My dad and his 29-year-old girlfriend are expecting a child soon. He's moving on, and soon he won't have time for me or my sister. I'm free, and I don't need my father right now. I guess I just wanted you to know that. Sometimes it's better for kids to not talk to their parents, and sometimes fathers can send extremely deceiving emails to their daughter's favorite authors just to get under some skin. Sugars, how does a woman free herself from the heavy weight of the patriarchy when her father is a misogynist? Oh wait, I already know the answer. Go into the woods. Go away from society. Go hiking. The trees will heal you. Signed, Daughter.
1: Oof, that is a lot of pain and a lot of anger in a very short space. Mm -hmm. Sure. one thing that is curious that we need to tell listeners about this letter is that the daughter says that we answered her dad's letter, the one that we talked about in our parental alienation episode. But you noticed that some of the ways that she describes her family structure in this letter don't actually match the letter from the father uh, in question. So we wrote to her. And she responded actually by clarifying that her father hadn't written the exact letter that we responded to, but he'd written one so similar to it uh, that she related so deeply that she felt compelled to write us this letter. And to me, it's such a powerful indication of how people can be struggling with, even though totally different lives and family structures, they send us completely different letters, but they're so, the parallels are so eerie um, that she literally thought, oh, my dad wrote my favorite author.
2: Yeah. Yeah this letter really stopped my heart Yeah, because as you know, we receive letters from people seeking help and seeking counsel and wanting to be heard. And we take those letters at face value and we address everyone. I think with compassion and love, even when we say hard things to them, we always, at least I can speak for myself. I always try to hold people in my heart in a way that, that I give them all the benefit of the doubt. I hold them in light and love. And I, got this letter and it was so, not only did I feel just an enormous amount of sympathy for daughter, but I also, I saw myself in her. Mm-hmm. Because of course, and I think I did mention this on the parental alienation episode, is I am estranged from my father. Mm-hmm. I do not speak to my father. I do not have any contact with my father. And that has been true for years. And that is a really good idea. It's a really positive Move in my life. It's a positive decision. And I chose to do that for some of the same reasons the daughter is talking about here. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds to me like she has for now decided not to have contact with her father. She doesn't talk about permanence. Uh, when I was 19, I, I didn't talk about permanence in that regard either. But well into my adulthood, I did decide I can't have a relationship with my father anymore. He's toxic. And one of the most healing parts of the story for me has been really acknowledging that he has a right to his version of events. Hmm. He feels betrayed by me. If you read a letter from my father about our relationship, he would say her mother turned her against me. Her mother, you know, said bad things about me. Even though those things aren't true, they're things that he believes. And, you know, I've had to learn in my own heart by way of forgiveness to just sort of make room for his right to tell his story. And it can sit there alongside my own. Mm-hmm. That's what I wish for you, daughter, and for your father, that you both can find a way, whether it's in relationship with each other or not, to have a sense of peace and harmony and forgiveness about what is past. I think mm-hmm. it's too fresh to do that now. But I'm speaking you know, many years out from this. I can say that it is possible.
1: Yeah. I could hear when we did the parental alienation episode that Cheryl, you were there was a part of you that knew that there had to be the other side of this, Mm -hmm. which is a child who has a parent who's toxic to them. So that's what we're going to take up, and we're going to have uh, a great comrade in that, an old friend of ours, Stephen Elliott, the wonderful writer, movie director, and our our old pal from The Rumpus. And our
2: first guest on Dear Sugar Radio, too. I mean, not only is he our friend way back from The Rumpus days, but yeah, even on Dear Sugar Radio, we called him first. And he has a really interesting story about parental estrangement that we will explore. Right. So let's read our next letter, Steve.
1: Okay, here we go. Dear Sugars, I'm estranged from my mother. She's beautiful, wickedly funny, an accomplished artist, and the mother of two children, neither of whom speak to her. She struggles with a toxic combination of narcissistic personality disorder, alcoholism, and some undiagnosed bipolar madness. My estrangement from her has come in phases. Following a crazy night during which she tried to strangle me when I was in my early teens, I did not speak to her for almost five years. I missed her. I longed for her. I had taken care of her for so many years. I was her therapist and trusted friend. I was never her daughter. Eventually, I caved to these feelings and I reestablished contact with her. At this time, I was also actively seeking therapy and continued to. I tried to establish boundaries. I thought that I could manage her by making rules. Only see her in public. Always have a getaway car. But a person like this is all encompassing. She would manipulate me into staying the night at her house, or she'd come to my place and refuse to leave. I broke it off again in my early twenties for another stretch of years, but again it tortured me. I felt her pain. I felt her aloneness. I waited for an apology from her, I waited for her maternal instincts to kick in, I waited for her to come and find me and take it all back. It never came. She projected onto me and told me I was her abuser, she sent me vicious emails, I caved again, my heart swollen with blame. I was happy to relieve both of us of the silent agony we'd been suffering, but she was always horribly, tragically, and diagnostically the same. Our estrangements left me feeling raw, paranoid, and sick with guilt. I'd be walking down the street, and I would see her in everyone. I felt her eyes on me everywhere. The guilt chewed on me like a rat. I dreamed of her constantly. She was always chasing me down the side of a mountain or swimming across a large lake towards me. Other times in the dreams, we're hiking together, and I'm a baby in a backpack. She's singing Joni Mitchell to me. I wake up, hunch over, and cry in the dark. Her subconscious presence bulldozed me. She always came back. I always brought her back. I'm now approaching 30. I've built a life of peace. I have an incredible relationship and friendships and a family that isn't sick with narcissism. This has taken me unimaginable work and time, sugars. I've had my fair share of relationships with alcoholics, self-mutilation, anxiety. Most of the time when I tell people of my estrangement, especially those who have lost a parent early, they're stunned. I'm judged for being too hard on her and for taking her for granted. In this society, I'm selfish. People who lost their moms young tell me what they wouldn't give to have their mother still here. I'm told, you will regret this. But death is different than estrangement. Death is permanent. This is chosen permanence, hard-won freedom. Occasionally, I meet someone who's also experiencing the loss of a parent by choice and estrangement. We're a small, shameful group of people. Estrangement is barely talked about. Usually, it's a deadbeat father who's never around, who eventually just phases out. We need to talk about parent loss by terrible choice. My mother and I are now estranged again. This time, I am resolving permanence. I miss her terribly. I'm grieving her. But I'm trying to live a life that doesn't include abuse. I'm trying to approach this in black and white. Yet... I think about her still. I want to call her and have it all be different. Can I make it different? I think about her walking the earth, the woman that gave birth to me, and I'm irrevocably heartbroken. My question used to be, should I have contact with my mother? But I know that answer now. I should not. But my question to you is, how can I live without her? How do I move out of a constant state of guilt, This choice feels wrong in my bones, but it is absolutely the right decision in reality. How can I live the rest of my life without my mother, who is living in the same zip code? Motherless by choice.
2: Ah, this letter absolutely shreds my heart. Motherless by choice. I'm so sorry. One of the parts of the world I've had the opportunity to see via my writing about my mother dying young is I've met so many people who are motherless, and the first layer of those people are people who have dead mothers, and the second layer of those people are people like you, who have mothers who they've lost to addiction or mental illness or both. And you have to grieve this loss. And the first piece of that, I think, that you need to tend to is to forgive yourself you know there's so much blame in this letter you feel so guilty because that like you say you know it is a choice you 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 didn't your mom didn't die it would be easier if she did it's painful but it would be easier if she did and when you make a choice such as you've made to say i'm going to permanently cut off this really essential primal person in my life it's a big deal but you're not doing it to be cruel You're not doing it lightly. You're doing it as you've stated over and over and over in your letter for reasons that go so deep and that are never going to change. The line of this very painful letter that made me hurt the most is, can I make it different? Mm -hmm. Because that tells me, even though you know, as you've stated in all of these ways, that you can't, there's still this tiny piece of you that thinks, maybe, but maybe, but maybe. And until you can teach yourself that it won't be you won't ever truly accept this reality and let your mother go and so i really recommend that you know you begin there you begin with weeding out this judgment you've you know rightly absorbed from the culture that says but it's your mom you only get one mom how dare you we're all supposed to really respect our parents even when they've wronged us you know we tend to be a culture and i tend to be a person who says you know we've got to forgive people and i do absolutely believe that. But I also believe that there are some points that we reach with our parents, I reached it with my father, where there is no going back and that you do need to decide to end a relationship permanently so that you can continue forward with a greater strength and greater clarity and greater light. I don't think you should do this alone. You know, I think you reached out to us because you need support. And so go find it. Find that tribe of people who have had this kind of experience with a mother like yours. Find them through therapists who can talk to you honestly and openly about how one recovers from such a profound and primal loss.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, what emerged in listening to this letter was we underestimate the extent to which children are healers motherless by choice, and you're so articulate about it, you were forced early into a relationship where you were responsible. You essentially became the parent, and your mother became the child. And over and over again, your relationship with her was to try to take care of her so that you could heal her into being the mother who would take care of you. That's the dilemma. And That left you unable to completely rid yourself both of the burden of guilt chewed upon like a rat, you write, but also of the dream Mm -hmm. that if you can just be good enough and patient enough and loving enough and empathic enough, this kind of superhuman you will be able to somehow restore the good parts of your mother, Mm -hmm. the parts that are charismatic and loving and those beautiful idyllic memories that exist sort of in between the shards of dysfunction and abuse and sort of being ravaged by guilt. And so you have to get free of it. But that doesn't mean that you have to completely abandon the parts of your mother that were beautiful and illuminated, And, you know, quite charismatic and incredible. It's just hard to hold on to those without the fantasy that she is suddenly going to become nurturant. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to have to give up. And what Cheryl's suggesting is you need as much help as you can because you're identifying something that's powerfully true. That there aren't a lot of people, you know, whenever we hear estrangement, even the word, like alienation, carries a kind of stigma. Like, oh, you couldn't work it out with your parents? What's that about?
2: Yeah. And in particular, your mother, you tell us these dreams, you know, about being chased down by, mo- by your mother and other dreams being comforted by her, you know, held in a backpack as you're hiking or, or she's singing Joni Mitchell to you. This is your mind speaking to you. This is your body trying to heal the trauma of your relationship with your mother. After my mother died, I had these dreams over and over and over that I was made to murder my mother. Mm. I had to murder her in the most brutal, hands-on ways. And I remember waking from those dreams and weeping, and and what I would always think is, release me from this terror, release me from this thing. But now that I have some distance from that, and of course those were painful dreams to have because they felt like real life, Mm -hmm. I see that they were a really important part of my healing. And it was because on the deepest, deepest, deepest level, I could not believe, I mean, my body could not believe that my mother was dead. And so my my mind, my dream life made me act it out, kill her myself. Mm -hmm. And I think motherless by choice, thinking of these dreams as evidence that you are also healing, that you are also learning how to accept very simply that what's true is true and you don't want what's true to be true. You know, you don't want your mother to be this sort of person who you have to estrange yourself from, but that that's the person who she is. And when you can do that, you can more clearly see, as Steve was pointing to, some of the beautiful things your mom brought to you. And those things aren't going to be evidence that you need to go back into her life, but they might be something that feeds you just a little bit further down the road.
1: What I appreciate about this letter is just the admission of when we make this choice to estrange ourselves from a parent, it is not like a drifting away. It has to be, this is why the guilt is so profound, it's an act of volition. This is you saying, this person is the most important person in my life and I have to be free of her. And that's devastating. And you can't be alone in that. You have to recognize how profound, and this letter is evidence that you do recognize how profound that is. We get a lot of letters where people really try to downplay how important something is, and we usually can pick up on it. This is a letter that's just the opposite. She's Mm -hmm. saying, this person is my everything. How do I walk away from my everything?
2: Yeah. So I think it's time to call Stephen
1: Elliott. It absolutely is time to call Stephen Elliott. He is the founding editor of the online literary magazine, The Rumpus where Dear Sugar, the column was begun by me and brought to its full and beautiful form by Cheryl Strait. And he's currently the senior editor for Epic Magazine. He's also a film director and the author of seven books, including The Adderall Diaries and Happy Baby as a new collection of essays coming out. Uh, and he's just one of our favorite people in the world.
2: And he's got a lot of experience with loss around parents, and especially on our topic today, he was many times estranged from his father.
1: That's right. Let's give him a buzz. This is Steve.
2: Hey, Steve. It's Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Steve Almond is here, too.
1: Hey, man. Hey, Doug. Now, listen, Stephen, we wanted to talk with you because we're talking on this episode about parental estrangement. And as huge fans of your writing, and also fans of the Adderall Diaries specifically, actually, a lot of your work deals very directly with this issue of parental estrangement, which we're defining as when a child finds it necessary to cut off contact with with a parent who's toxic in one way or another, and and all that that entails. Can you talk a little bit about your own experience? This is a lot of this is in your work, but for our listeners. To make sure they know your complicated history.
2: And, and I should say, child, when we say child, we mean that could be an adult child or a child. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I had such a crazy situation with that because, you know, I left home when I was 13 and I was homeless for an entire year because, you know, I had an abusive father and my mother had died. And then I was arrested. And by then, my father had moved and the state took custody of me. And I never did go home. My father and I would heal and be in contact for certain periods of time. And then I would decide I needed him out of my life and I would not talk to him for years and years at a time, particularly when I started publishing books, he would contact the journalist and debate things I had said. Like I would talk about group homes when I was in, he would say, Oh, those group homes weren't so bad. Of course he didn't know anything about the group homes. I was in, you know, he was really challenging my story and he would act out, when he got angry about something the journalist had said uh, about me and he would accuse me of killing my mother.
2: Mm. And,
0: and the last time he did that, I said, you know, I've tried and, and I can't make it work. And I didn't speak to him for like five years and then he died, you know, about a little over a year ago. And that was a, that was a relief. But I regret that we only really had conflict. I mean, I, f- I feel like I was in conflict with him for most of my life, for at least 30 years. You know, I mean, there was this stuff that I ran away when I was a kid because, you know, he shaved my head a couple times and he handcuffed me to a pipe who was an abusive father. But the really painful stuff was the stuff that happened as adults because we were fighting over the story and who owned the story. Right. You know, like for me, a big part of healing with my father was like I had to come to understand that his truth was true for him. You know, it yeah. wasn't. he wasn't lying. He, he had his own truth and he believed it, you know.
2: Yeah. You know, before we called you, I, I said a similar thing about my own journey with my dad where, you know, part of me accepting essentially, I mean, I'm estranged from him permanently, but I also had to come to terms with the fact that he has his own story that's in the world because he believes it. And it's one that I absolutely dispute and I can kind of prove is, you know, uh, not true, but frankly, it was healing for me to just say, my job isn't to prove it isn't true. My job is to say, okay, Mm -hmm. here's my story. There's your story. I get to have my life without you.
0: Yeah. As as a writer, you know, you have to put yourself inside the other character's head. You have to understand their motivations. Like when you're writing about someone, it's not, it's not about making them understand you that's not the point. You have to understand them in order to write well about somebody. And so that's actually like a great thing because there are a handful of facts in this world, you know, like I was sleeping on the streets and my father moved and I didn't have his address. Right. That's a fact, mm-hmm. but facts are swamped by memories and interpretations. When my, th- if my father was to say, that's not true. I told you where I was living. That would be, you know, completely not true. But if he says, you're a spoiled kid who just didn't know how to take instruction and you're just out to hurt me, that is his truth. Mm -hmm. And it's not really really debatable, you know what I mean? Like, that's his truth. And for me to understand, if I want to understand him at all, which I think is pretty important when when you're trying to forgive somebody, then I need to figure out what is his truth, you know?
2: Well, I hear what you're saying. I also... Don't totally agree with you, because I do think that facts can be very large. You know, when you say it is a fact that my father was abusive to me, i I, I believe that as fact. I think that you can actually not only document, but I even believe the stories that you tell about the things your
0: father did to you as a child. and some of it, I mean, I, there's enough facts to prove that he was abusive, but a lot of the reasons I think he was abusive are not based on fact. They're really like me interpreting things he said.
1: Well, Stephen, here's a question I have for you that has to do with not the story that we tell about a parent who we're estranged from or a child who we see as willful or, you know, who's who's rebelled against us. But the stories that we tell about ourselves and in the case of daughter, I'm interested in when she says I'm free and I don't need my father right now. I guess I just wanted you to know that. Do you believe that story? No. I mean, well, no, I don't. <laughs> because I don't know that she's
0: on—I'm not saying she's on the wrong path. It seems like she is actively exploring and finding herself. But everything in that letter came off as pain to me.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's—I mean, that's, that's a bit of a leading question, but it's part of what I wanted you to speak to. Because one of the things you do in your work, quite remarkably, is return to the scene of those crimes— and interrogate the story that you tell yourself about your relationship with your father and interrogate the story that he tells about his relationship with you. And it seems to me that integral to that ability to truly find parental estrangement that is to not chew yourself up with guilt or be consumed by rage, which we can clearly hear the second letter, motherless by choice is really I feel like consumed by guilt is part of what it is mm-hmm. you know her, her mother's everywhere, she blames herself and so forth
2: and a sense of deep loss yeah. deep deep it's loss pain, but it's, pain, it's
1: yeah. yeah, but but the guilt is sort of what's keeping her involved with her mother. And I thought daughter really was sort of involved emotionally with her father because she's still enraged at him. And I guess what I'm getting at and is— And hurt by him. And I and agree hurt. with
2: that pain assessment with, that Stephen gave us, too, uh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. But, but what Cheryl's describing, and I think what you're trying to negotiate in your work, especially the Adderall Diaries, but a lot of your work, is a recognition that this is such a primal relationship— And that it's so painful to recognize that you had a parent who didn't take care of you in crucial ways. And, you know, then you react to that as a child. But that the only way you really get free of them psychically is by recognizing that they're going to have a version that's never going to line up with yours. That they were weak in ways that you can't do anything about. And that even though you have the right to be enraged with them, that is in its own way continuing the toxic relationship. It's not truly being free of the burden of what they couldn't be to you. It's in a, sense, in a sense reliving it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that in every way. I mean, I think when people talk about like disconnecting from their parents, in one way is the first writer with her father I thought, well, you haven't really disengaged very much. You know, you're, you're waking up in conflict with this person every day. You know, I could just I could just feel her waking up and going through the arguments in her head, you know, and And acting about both sides of it, and you know if you can actually not engage, then you're not going to have any real peace or freedom,
2: right, yeah, well, and I think Stephen, both you and I and the the letterator and motherless by choice we when we became the the process of estrangement was not one time, you know mm-hmm. for for me, it's exactly what you're saying, you know when I was got you know 14 and then and then 18 and then 26 and you know, like it, it, there's so many different times that I re-estranged myself from my father and until the final one about 10 years ago that that and, and when that final one happened I knew I knew in my heart that it was the final one and it's it's because exactly what you just said I, it was really actually that I wasn't in conflict anymore. I had made a decision and I felt peace. And I actually felt this, this vast expansive sense of, you know, goodwill. Like I really wished my father well, you know, with every cell in my body. And I think that, you know, it, it isn't to say that those mini estrangements like that motherless by choice is talking about are failures. It's actually part of, You know, it's such a big estrangement that it it's almost like you have to you know, have small ones in order to get to that place of permanence. Mm -hmm. Is that what happened in your own life in that regard?
0: Well, I think that's totally right. I think the last five years of my relationship with my father were very peaceful for me because I had stopped wishing any kind of harm upon him. I had stopped engaging in the argument, you know. I just stopped and and it was very intentional that I wished him well, you know, that was pretty important. Right.
1: Right. Here's what I think, as I'm hearing you guys talking and rereading these letters, the act of estranging yourself from a parent is so unnatural in a bioevolutionary sense, in a psychological and emotional sense, that when it's clear that it's a psychic necessity, it immediately brings on an incredibly deep conflict. I want to be free of this person. I know that's the right thing. And oh, my God, I can never be free of this person. It's clearly the wrong thing. And so you find a way to continue the relationship. In the case of daughter, it's by a kind of sustained rage. And in the case of motherless, by choice, it's a plague of guilt and shame. Even the way she interprets the way that other people are judging her Mm -hmm. for this decision is so shot through with shame. It chews on her. It afflicts her. But that's really, in a sense, a way of keeping that relationship alive. And the sad and deflating truth, in a way, is that when you reach a point where you're ready to let go of that relationship, it's a, a certain measure of disappointment, a kind of adult disappointment, and also a sense of regret and, uh-huh. and remorse and, and some loss. But I would be willing to bet that Stephen, you weren't able to accept your father's death and even find some relief in it if you hadn't reached that point of letting go of whatever rage and you know that you felt towards him, that desire to be in conflict with him, to have your stories competing.
0: Uh-huh. You know, I literally had like one day of anger when he died. And I was kind of shocked because I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was in New Orleans at the time with a friend, and we were just walking down Bourbon Street. And there was some parade or something, and I just started raging. I was like, "You know, he, you because know, he, he he had eaten a sandwich and then dropped dead of a heart attack." And I was like, "He got away with everything. He finished the sandwich, you know,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know."
0: And I just went on and, you know, and we did this, we went on this walk and we arrived at the place we were going to. You know, I think it was half, maybe an hour of just like this like stream of just whatever. And I tell you, the next day it was pretty much gone. And all things considered, I was very surprised how mild my feelings were. Right. Like it kind of, like, I kind of, I kind of vented for a minute. And then I was like, yeah, I'm glad we're not, I'm glad to have some time without him. I thought maybe I wouldn't feel that way, but I do feel that way. You know, I'm glad he's gone,
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. and that
0: was it. Not in a mean way, more for like, my, just for myself, you know, like I really want to have this apartment to myself. I was, you know, I was tired of having a roommate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm glad that I got to have some time in this apartment before the lease came up.
2: Yeah. Well, Steven, I'm curious about what's come up for you in the way you think about your dad, the way you, the place he occupies in your life and in your mind and your psyche since his death?
0: Well, I tell you, you know, it was a funny thing. You know, he passed away and almost immediately after he passed away, there was this article in Pinhouse about, you know, that painted me as a really sexist kind of horrible person. And I was was suddenly like kind of thrust into this new conflict, like immediately. And it it made me realize that like, Oh, I'm like always in conflict. And I was determined not to let another conflict come in and fill the void. You know, I did not want to live a life of conflict. And that changed the way I look at the world significantly. Mm -hmm. You know, just that one thought. But one other thing that came up very recently that was really very beautiful was at some point, my father had written, this is at least 10 years ago, And he had written to some magazine that, you know, about all the money he spent on me and how, you know, I owed him something because he spent this money on me. And, you know, I calculated the money. I felt it wasn't very much, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) I left home so early. And I sent him $13,000. That was like all my savings. I didn't think he would cash the check. (laughs) (laughs) Your $13,000. He called your bluff. Ah! Yeah, he cashed the check. And so...
1: He ate the sandwich.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was shocked. And, you know, not that long ago, I mean, really very recently, like a month ago or something, I contacted my sister. You know, I don't know my siblings as well as I should because I left home so, so young, but I like them. So it's a little weird for me. And I, I called her and said, you know, I kind of want to ask my stepmother for that money back. <laughs> right. I know she doesn't need it, you know. And so she's like, oh, let me check. And she checked in and she's like, yeah, you should give her a call. And So I called her. And she said, you know, if I give you this money, is this it? I'm, just, I'm not going to see you again, or are you going to come around? And I was like, yeah, no, I, I want to come around. I don't want to be not part of the family. It's just difficult for me. Hmm. And it was so beautiful, because it, it actually made me feel like I was glad I had sent him the money. Because I got the money back, and it got me, much, it got me closer to my family. Like, my stepmother took the opportunity to bring me in rather than saying, well, you're an idiot. You shouldn't send send that check, you know? I think that's uh,
2: that's so beautiful.
0: Isn't that a beautiful story?
2: Well, it's really beautiful because it is. It brought you giving your dad that money and him cashing the check really was what brought you to the invitation, essentially out of your estrangement, you know, back into a kind of family. I mean, obviously you can't go back in time and, but you can, you can have some bond that you didn't have before with these people.
0: Yeah, that, that, so that was actually a really net positive on that whole experience. I mean, of course, she knew what I was talking about. She wasn't, she wasn't unaware of the check.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, wow. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We love talking to you. Our first guest, the yeah. first dear sugar
0: radio guest.
1: Yeah, well, I love talking to you guys, too. You better not become estranged from us. We're not sending you thirteen thousand dollars, my friend.
0: Hey, I'm I'm right I'm right here, man. I never get enough of you guys. Right. I know.
1: Awesome.
2: All right, bye sweetie. See you. Bye. Next. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I love that guy. And, you know, I have to say that um, both Motherless by Choice and Daughter should think about reading a book like The Adderall Diaries because I think it is such a fascinating meditation on how complicated the process of estrangement is. It's not like a single decision. It's this longer process. And what Stephen was able to articulate was, I know I had this unhealthy pattern uh-huh. with m- this father who was huge. I mean, you can say in both of these letters, the real issues is that parents... Cast a tremendous shadow over the entirety of your life, and for him, he was saying the whole basis of this relationship was fighting and conflict, and whose story gets primacy, and and I spent you know so many of my years locked in that cycle, and I can see to some extent, daughter, and even to a greater extent, motherless by choice, locked into the psychic dynamics uh-huh. of this afflictive love. And the process of estrangement, uh, you know, as I think you really articulated, Cheryl, is about not allowing that pattern to continue to prevail, finding a way to manage the crushing disappointment of having a parent who is unable in one way or another to live up to what you Deeply desire and what you deserve, mm-hmm.
2: and forgiving yourself for the time that you have stayed locked in it too. Yep, I think that that's a piece of it. One, one thing that the stories that Stephen and I told, in relation to the stories that our two letter writers told, are, are really from a vantage point of being a lot further out okay yeah. we have a 19 year old and almost 30 year old letter writer and so there you guys are at an earlier stage of this process forgive yourself for all those times that you said okay i'm, I'm not going to talk to you anymore and then you went and talked to that parent again this is part of actually you learning how to make good choices for yourself and and if if, if that good choice is letting go you know you're in the you're in the on the journey of discovering that mm-hmm. now and Lastly, I would say to you, Motherless by Choice, you ask, how do I live without my mother? And I know it feels impossible, what I want to point out is you don't need to ask us that question because you're doing it, and you've been doing it for a long time. You never got the mother you wanted. You never got the mother who loved you in the ways and nurtured you in the ways that mothers should you got the mother you got, and you've been living all these 30 years, I think, pretty powerfully without her. And so, what you do is the same thing you always do when things feel impossible. You just keep going. We wish you luck.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Keep building that life of peace. Yeah. that's clearly underway.
2: Dear Sugar Radio is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Amory Sievertson. We're recording at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon. Josh Millman is our engineer. Our theme music is by the Portland band Wonderly. Vocals are by Liz Weiss. Please subscribe to Dear Sugar Radio on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dear Sugar Radio. And please write to us. We love getting your emails at dearsugarradio at gmail.com.